You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So, hey, we're going to take a shift um, in our gripping, grasping, and giving series on money, possessions, and power. And by the time we're done with the shift, I think you'll understand why we're making the shift. But the shift we're going to make is a conversation on joy and how joy is the antidote to the gripping and the grasping that we lean toward and can be a motivation not just for generosity, but can actually be our strength, that the joy of the Lord actually can be our strength. But here's the caveat. Joy isn't happy clappy. Joy isn't just about feeling good about the world and smiling on your face and wanting to dance everywhere you go. We, a lot of times we say when we meet really happy and giddy people, like really bouncy people, we like to say, oh, that's a joyful person. No, I mean, that's a happy person, and I'm glad for happy people, but, but that's, a, that's a happy person. That doesn't necessarily mean a joyful person. A joyful person can be a person who weeps. A joyful person can be a person who laments because joy in the Christian tradition is far deeper than happiness. It can include happiness, but it is deeper than happiness. Are y'all with me? All right. So here's what we want to do. I want to unpack this idea of joy because there's something that we need to know that we may not know. And here's the something that we need to know as we move forward. Over the last 15 years, neuroscience, through the innovation of brain imaging, has discovered that our brains have a literal joy center to it. That in our brains, we have this center of our brains where we long to connect, long to attach to others. It's our attachment, our bonding part of who we are. Does that make sense? And then when we see people we love and see people we enjoy, when we see people who are glad to be with us, when we find ourselves bonded to others, our, our body literally, our brain literally sends out a neurochemical that moves us toward deeper relationship. Does that make sense to you in the broadest way possible? We're going to talk much more in detail about this next week. But there's a reason why I want to tell you this. is because neuroscience is discovering what the ancient wisdom of Scripture has always known. But we can see it now, that we are literally wired for joy. So some of us walk around life with long faces. Some of us walk around life like a living Eeyore, right? Like a, like a snuffleupagus, right? And everywhere we go, it is what it is. And we like to talk like... We don't talk like that, thankfully. If you talk like that, you ain't got friends. But if we, we move forward, like we move forward with this kind of disposition of sadness. Now, here's the thing. I know that I am naturally, like I am wired neurobiologically, neurologically in my brain. I am wired for relationship, which means then I am literally hardwired for joy. But I'm naturally in my disposition, I'm blues in the life of the mind. Here's what I mean by that. If you put me in, in, a, in a yard, and on one side of the yard, there's a mom and a dad and some children, and they're blowing bubbles, and they're playing with balloons, and there's rainbows, and, a, and, and they're all happy and beautiful, I'm going to be like, oh, that's sweet. I'm going to think that's good. Like, good for the kids, you know, good for the parents, good for the, the bubbles and all the things they're doing. But then on the other side of the yard, if you point me to a man living in a tent, and he's living through houselessness, and it's dark and it's cold, my mind is going to fixate there. That's just my natural disposition. 
And then I'm going to get all inside my head. I'm going to get all bluesy. I'm going to get all kinds of lament oriented. I'm going to start crying out and moving. I'm going to start trying to look at systems. And it's just going to, uh, it's just going to feel that kind of thing inside of me. And that's my natural disposition. So I move into this series with a pastoral confession. I have been thinking, studying, praying, discerning this idea of joy for the last solid just over a year of my life, trying to flesh out what does it mean for joy to be so central to the Christian faith. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. And it dawns on me when Paul said the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about justice, peace, and joy. For 13 years, I have done the best I can with the leadership of the elders and the co-leadership of the staff to try and help us move more closely and more deeply into the justice and the peace of the kingdom of God. But it dawns on me that I haven't done a faithful enough job leading us into the joy. And so, not only is this a pastoral confession, of a misstep that I have made moving forward, moving in the past. It's also a confession of desire that I need more joy in my life. And I am committed to finding and reclaiming how joy is central to the Christian faith. And I'm asking if you'd be willing to do the same. Because who doesn't need more joy? So that's my confession and that's my desire. I hope you'll move through this with me. And that 13 years from now, if I'm still here and the Lord hadn't come back, that we'll still hold on to the justice, to the peace, and the joy. Because justice and peacemaking without joy is exhaustion. But with joy, it's a kind of satisfaction that moves us more deeply into the purposes of God and into the life of God. So here's where we begin. The angel comes to a people wandering and waiting and says in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you, read this with me, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. So here's where we begin in the Christmas story. Jesus is God's joy for the world. And right here in the beginning of the Christmas story is an announcement of joy. And there's an announcement of joy because we know now that the endless pursuit of chasing after things that cannot save us and do not fulfill us can now be over. Truth has come and revealed a world of lies. Goodness has come and revealed a world of corruption. Beauty has come and revealed a world of violence and anxiety. The chains of the reign of sin and death have been broken in the salvation that has come through King Jesus, and now liberation is possible for all. We don't have to chase smoke anymore. Too many of us are chasing things to fill us up that cannot sustain what we are longing for in our hearts. And it's not just like Augustine says when he says, our heart have a restless longing for you that only kind of a, a God-shaped hole that only God can fill through the love of God. No, our hearts are restless, longing for God, but there's a longing for something deeper. There's a longing for joy. There's a longing for connection. 
See, because joy, if we are hardwired for it, joy is not just simply a satisfaction alone. Joy is about understanding that I belong to somebody. Joy is about belonging to God and realizing that God is glad to be with us. You with me? Because that's the Christmas story because Jesus is called Emmanuel and Emmanuel means what? God with us. The joy of scripture, the joy of the faith is that God is with us. And that God didn't come to us begrudgingly. God is not Eeyore and Snuffleupagus rocking around the world wondering why we're so obstinate and stubborn. God is actually glad to be with us. And God comes to us because we belong to God. And God knows that we want to flourish. I mean, don't we want to do more than survive? Don't we want security and stability when society seems unsteady? Don't we want to rise up and overcome when life gets heavy? Don't we want to break life-draining cycles and leave life-giving legacies? Don't we want to grow and know peace and experience joy? And what the Christian faith declares when the angel of the Lord announces on Christmas that good news of great joy has come, it's that the love of God revealed in the person of Jesus as King is God's greatest act of hospitality, of God extending to us an invitation into God's life where we have always belonged to God. And God has always been glad to be with us. And now... Liberation into that joy is possible. And what we sometimes may forget is that all of the scriptures talk about this. Like it's throughout the entire Hebrew and Christian scriptures. And even so much so that in the Psalms it tells us that all of creation is caught up in the joy of belonging to God. That all of creation is caught up in the joy of being in God's presence. Matter of fact, I want you to look at this. We're going to do a, like a litany of scriptures, all right? Now, real quick, let me qualify. I'm controlling the screen myself today, so if it goes all wonky, don't blame Fergie or Dean. Don't blame them. Blame me and find great joy in that, right? All right, so, so Psalm 65, let's read it. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with what? joy the meadows clothe themselves with flocks the valleys deck themselves with grain they shout and sing say it with me together for joy psalm 98 4 make a to the lord all the earth break forth into what joyous song and sing praises Joy is woven into the fabric of creation because joy is central to belonging to God and sharing in God's presence. It's a little more than happiness, isn't it? Did you know that joy is mentioned over 50 times in the Psalms alone? And the psalmist believes that joy is central to belonging to God, not just for creation, but for humanity too. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. Read this with me. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
Psalm 21, 6. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. And here's the thing. I realize that some of us don't feel this. And here's what I want to remind you of. It doesn't change the fact that your brain is literally wired for it. So have hope. If your heart doesn't feel it, if your soul doesn't hold it, your brain is disposed toward it. It was almost as if God knew that God had to place a governor switch in our brain to constantly point us toward the kind of connection that leads to our joy. So have hope. Because joy, in the words of the great community philosophers and rock band called Foreigner, joy is more than a feeling. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. But you are disposed toward it. We have just been pushed down, pressed down, misshapen, pulled aside, disconnected, or we've been given really bad theology along the way. And I want to address some of that too, because theology matters, and that's where we get this all kinds of sideways. Because see, even the Hebrew prophets knew that joy was central to belonging to God, and that God is glad to be with God's people. So in this, in this text of Zephaniah, God's people are a hot mess. They're caught up in nationalistic idolatry. They're caught up in an ideology of violence. They're caught up in the greed of things. They think they're better than everybody else, so they're caught up in ethnic superiority. And so Zephaniah comes to them and says, hey, y'all need to turn away from that because that ain't working out well. That is against the way of God. That doesn't align with the Torah. That doesn't align with the vision of God for the world there is a different way there is a better way and Zephaniah says to them even them for the Lord your God is say it with me living among you he's a mighty savior he will take what delight in you with gladness with his love, he will calm all your fears. He will, say it with me, rejoice over you with joyful songs. So when I say to you that God is glad to be with you, I am saying what Zephaniah said. I am telling you what the gospel says. That you belong to God. Stop trying to belong to things that are not God. Stop chasing the smoke that will fill your lungs but choke you in time. You belong to God. And God is glad to be with you. You are not, as some pastors and preachers say, just this wretched sinner in the hands of an angry God. God is glad to be with you. Longs to be with you. Because you belong to God. You are God's segula. That is the Hebrew word. For treasured possession. So when we confess that we are God's possession, the Hebrew word that Peter draws from is segula. We should be saying we are God's treasured possession. You are. There's no brokenness too broke, no darkness too dark, no hatred too hateful. 
No abuse too harmful. And no sin too despicable. That would change God's disposition towards you. As one who is glad to be with you. And that is gospel. Come on now, where y'all at? Thank you. Lord have mercy. This is gospel. See, Jesus says the same things, carrying this theme of joy into his ministry. And if I had to attempt to define joy as we go forward, and this is a definition I've scrubbed out and worked on as an understanding, is this would be my attempt to capture the full biblical narrative of what joy is, that joy is the outcome of a conscious awareness of belonging to God and that God is glad to be with us, which leads us to a joyful connection with God and a sense of satisfaction in the soul. That is why joy is about satisfaction. It's about a contentment deep down in our gut. But joy is the outcome of a conscious awareness. Now, I said conscious awareness because it's not enough for us to just be aware. It is enough for us to know that there is no place we can walk where Christ is not with us. When I take Ian and a couple of kids to school on some days before we get out of the truck, we pray, and God remind us that there is no place where you will not be with us today. Christ is as close to you as the air in your lungs, and there is no place you can go where Christ isn't. And when we come to a conscious sense of awareness that not only is Christ with us, but Christ is glad to be with us, it does change things. And it may not make us want to dance and be all happy because we have convoluted ideas of what joy is, but it can bring a satisfaction to my soul. That is where the psalmist would say, that is where the writer of Hebrews would say, man can be against me, all man wants, but God is for me, what can man do to me? So Jesus carries this theme of joy into his ministry. And in John 15, verse 11, Jesus even says that joy is a reason for his teaching. Jesus says, I have said these things. In other words, I've been teaching y'all. So that, read it with me, my joy will be in you and your joy will be what? Complete. So Jesus even has joy as a reason for his teaching. And it makes sense because Jesus is teaching his disciples the way of the reign of God. In a world of violence, in a world of, lo- a world of hatred, in a world of us versus them. Jesus, I mean, you heard what the children are having to learn in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus' teaching. Jesus is saying there's a different way. There's a life-giving way in a death-dealing society. And even if society takes your life, I have given you life and life abundantly that will never, ever end. And so Jesus is teaching them these things. And so Jesus says, I find there's joy in this teaching because this is how you can become complete. This is how your joy is made complete. Now, complete in the Greek is another word for the word mature. So when you hear the word complete or you hear the word perfect in Scripture, I would rather you think along the lines of mature because that's really what the word is trying to communicate. It just sounds clunky if you read it that way in English. So your joy will be what? 
mature, which means your joy will be full grown. And if joy can be full grown, what can that tell us? If there's a mature joy, then there must also be an immature joy, which is another way of saying, you know, a lesser grown joy, a toddler joy, right? An adolescent joy, an immature joy. And so maybe it's possible some of us are in a place where our joy is just not full grown. And that's okay. I think I've been in that place where my joy still has plenty of room to grow in me, to mature in me, so that this deep connection with God strengthens so that my conviction of the beautiful belief that I belong to God and that God is glad to be with me deepens so that there's a satisfaction in my soul. And so Jesus says that basically the same thing in a different way in John 17, verse 13, when he's reflecting again all, on all that he has taught his disciples in this prayer. And he says, now I'm coming to you and I say these things, which are teachings, while I'm in the world so that they can share what? Completely in my joy. And here's the thing, beloved. We talk a lot about love and we talk a lot about grace. We do in this church and we'll continue to do so. But that's what I was getting at. It occurred to me that I haven't, at least as far as it is with me, talked a lot about joy. And one of the things I have figured out is that there are 326 times that joy appears in the Christian scriptures alone. Come on now. And out of those 326 times, 131 of those occurrences happen in Paul's 10 letters. And did you know that grace, as beautiful and as big as it is, is mentioned 153 times in Scripture? And out of those 153 times, 88 times. This is why Paul, in some circles, is called the theologian of joy. This is how a brother can be in prison after getting a beat down and say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But one of the things we will learn in this shift in the series is that grace and joy are intimately connected. As a matter of fact, they share root words. Which makes sense when you think about joy. Which is why Paul would say things like this in Romans 5.11. More than that, we also, say it with me, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Read this with me because it's important. Through whom we have now received what? Which is connection. You see what I'm saying? So Paul is saying, hey, when we were separated, we're now connected and that is our joy. We are connected to God because now we belong to God. We are now in our belonging with God. We are living in that belonging. And God is glad to be with us. And so he connects it. He says, that brings me joy. Now, as I said, over the past 15 years, new new developments in neuroscience, particularly through the innovation of brain imaging, we've discovered we can plug brains up and we can see how brains light up. When certain things happen, that's how we test trauma. That's how trauma studies is evaluated and trauma response is evaluated, all these different things. And what we found is that when you put multiple brains in a room together and you light them up, you start discovering that joy is absolutely relational, which makes sense. But also, we discover that joy is contagious, 
We discover that joy is transforming. We even discover that joy helps our, our brain grow better than any health food, which is why I denounce vegetables as of this Sunday. <laughs> I also denounce exercise once and for all because we have found out that joy improves our immune system more than exercise. That's what I'm talking about, baby. The more we party, the healthier we are. Joy reduces stress. We know that. Joy promotes resilience. Joy moves us away from gripping and grasping and closer toward generosity and hospitality. Theologically, joy leads us to a deeper, longer, slower obedience. That joy moves us in that direction. And you think about it for a minute, real quick, about the neuroscience part. I want you to just think about this. When somebody walks in a room that you genuinely enjoy, what happens to your face and your body? It lights up, right? You don't consciously think about your face lighting up. You don't go, oh, they walked in. Let me light my face up. And you, when you see somebody you enjoy, you're like, you, you, you light up. That's your brain. That's your bonding center of your brain saying, that's a person who's glad to be with you. Go be with them. That's how it works. Now, when you see somebody you don't like, right, you don't, man, some, some of us wear it too much on our face. But when you see somebody you don't like, your brain says, yo, they are not somebody who is glad to be with you. And it provokes an inherent response different in our nervous systems, in our brains, and literally through our bodies, right? You with me? And that's my point. Like, we're made for joyful connection. Connection leads to joy. We even learn this. We'll talk about this more next week. We will about how babies are reared and how babies bond and how babies attach and the left eye. Anyway, all these different things just so you can see that we are disposed to this. And theologically, we are formed in this because the God who made us in God's own image made us for this. And so it makes sense then that when Paul writes about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and the fruit of the Spirit are relational qualities, right? They're relational qualities. Think about it. Love, joy, peace, what? Patience. What else? Kindness. What else? Gent and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. They're relational qualities. Joy is relational, just like love is relational. And it's not an accident that Paul's second word that comes after love is not peace, is not patience, is not kindness, but it is joy. And we know this is true. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. I mean, the, the Spirit can't produce patience in your life until he sends someone salty into your life that tests your patience. Right? Like, that's how this works. Because, here's the point, you can't experience joy alone. You literally were not neurobiologically made that way. I think this is a good apologetic <laughs> for, for the Christian faith, frankly. Because here's the truth. We have to make room for it in our lives. It is the fruit of the Spirit. So the, here's the good news. You can't muster up joy. You don't have to. Because you're already predisposed to it. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, guess what you already have in you? Joy. What you have to do, though, is make room for it. Does that make sense? In other words, you might have to say yes to something you don't feel like you have time for. Come on now. 
You might have to say no to something you would rather say yes to. You might have to do that hard thing that you've been trying to avoid. You might have to say yes to that text message. You might have to say yes to that phone call. You might have to say yes that I'm going to come and gather at the table with God's people even though I don't feel like it. You might have to say yes to taking five minutes and opening that scripture. You might have to say no to the radio on your way to a place as you walk or get the earbuds out of your ears so you can talk to God instead. That's making room. Because where is it already in? Us. We make room. And the Spirit does the work to remind us of what it means to belong to God. What it means for God to be glad to be with us. And I'm running out of time because we had a lot going on. But I want to say this as I kind of close out. This joy, and I want to be really clear, so please stay with me. As I'm, I'm coming to an end. This joy does not come to us because we are sinful, wretched people in desperate need for God to save us. You hear me? Yes, we are held captive. By the reign of sin and death. And without Jesus as King and Lord, we have no hope. I want to be clear. And we recognize that sin cannot be overcome by human determination, human capacity, or human moral resolve. But here's why. Because sin is not just an individual problem filled with unavoidable acts or failures to love. You hear me? Sin is more than an individual dead in Christ, dead in sin problem. Theologically, Paul called it the reign of sin and death in Romans 5 because Paul understood that sin and death have a cosmological power to them. Does that make sense? There's a universal reality at work in the world that is under the captivity of the reign of sin and death. And it infects our lives. It infects our souls. It sickens us from the inside out. No question about it. But here's the thing. Grace doesn't come to us because we are sinners. Come on now, hear me out. Grace comes to us because we are first and foremost loved by God. We love because what? God first loved us. Before there is guilt, there is grace. It is not the other way around. It is not the other way around. The actions of God's grace happens long before our awareness of our need to be rescued and liberated from the reign of sin and death. And when we awaken to our need to be rescued and liberated from the hell we make of our lives, we meet God's grace, which has been there all along. Are you with me? been there all along just waiting for us to receive it you are not a sinner in the hands of an angry God you are a person who is made in the image of God held captive by the reign of sin and death and you belong to God and God wants you back and God is glad to be with you and that is different and so our eyes do not fixate on our guilt and unworthiness, like some preachers and pastors would have us believe. Our eyes 
fixate on God's grace and God's gladness in being with us because we are God's treasured possession. And so when the writer of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, not our sinfulness, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus despised the shame. Jesus took on the cross and embraced the shame because of the joy that lay before him. You want to know what the joy was? Everybody raise your hand. You're the joy. Your life being enfolded into the life of God is the joy of Jesus. That is the joy. We are the joy. Paul would say, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become what? Rich. And so Paul understood then that the kingdom of God is not just about eating and drinking, but the kingdom of God is about, say it with me, justice, peace, and joy. In the Holy Spirit. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.